Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Hey everyone, welcome back. We're so glad to have you here and um, we hope you enjoyed our series on race conversations, our last series. We are moving on to talking about something that Luke and I care about a lot. And we hope that this conversation is really meaningful for you as we share about the messy middle that a lot of us Christians find ourselves in. And we have a fun guest. She is a new friend. Uh, Her name's Kate Boyd, and she's a writer, a Bible teacher, and a host of a podcast as well called the Happy Happy and Holy Podcast. She helps believers who find themselves in the messy middle between loving the church and leaving it to more confidently walk the lines between doubt and certainty, faith and action, with love and grace for all. She's traveled the world to interview and tell the stories of believers on mission, and she's been inspired by those encounters, which has created space to facilitate wholehearted discipleship. She's studying theology with an emphasis in church history and biblical languages, because she's super brave like that, at Perkins School of Theology. And I will give, I'll make sure to put in her contact information for social media on the podcast description. So welcome, Kate. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we have been wanting to do some episodes on this topic, we had to, we had a guest on. We talked about spiritual abuse, uh, which I think is tends to be connected to this a lot. Yeah. And it was great. And we had people who were really like the feedback was really good because they want they want more conversations. It resonated about this. with them for sure. Yeah, definitely. So we're thrilled to just talk to you more about this, as this is kind of a, a niche for you with um, your sharing your content on social media and the encouragement of uh, Christians. So yeah, just why don't we start with more of your story and how you, how this process began to unfold for you? So I, I grew up in the Bible Belt of America. I'm from um, east of Dallas originally. And about halfway through elementary school, we got into a small Christian school is where we started being educated. And that's where I was until I graduated. And it was SBC affiliated. So very conservative and very specific in a, in a lot of its theology and I guess ethics and, you know, standards for living and, and structure. And, and I just sort of like stayed on that path. I was good with American evangelicalism. I was like deep in it. I didn't even know it was the water I swam in. Right. I didn't even know that there was anything different. And then through a series of circumstances, after I graduated college, I ended up in a, a couple years later in a job. Well, I went to seminary and then had to leave seminary because we didn't have money for seminary because we were so broke when we got married, my husband and I. <laughs> and um, and so I just sort of left that behind. And then a couple years later, I got a job in a missions agency and they work in some of the toughest areas in the world, at least as it comes to like Christianity, you know, there's unreached people groups and high persecution and restricted access, like things you can and cannot do in public when it comes to Christianity. And part of my job was to go and sit with some of these people and just hear their stories and like follow them around for a couple of days and capture what they're doing so that I could write about it. I would, I would come home 
and just be like, and I think anybody who's done like any sort of mission work, even short term stuff, you sort of have that like re-entry hangover. Um, and it was very, like, it was very heavy when I realized like, gosh, I've been taught my whole life that Christianity looks this way, but that makes no sense over there. It makes no sense. Like, you know, we don't, I mean, everything from like buildings to leadership to worship style, like a lot of it just didn't make sense. And it was like supposed to be the way. And then it made me wonder what else, you know, might have been misconstrued from, you know, that because Christianity is a global faith and it's a timeless faith, right? Or it should be. And so if something traps it in a particular place in time, it's not necessarily bad or sinful, but I it doesn't necessarily give the best expression of it. And so that's where I sort of had to do what I call disentangling. I think a lot of people talk about deconstruction. I don't think mine was that that deep because I I decided I was still very committed to Jesus and God and the church, but my ideas about what those things were and what they did in my life and what they could look like across the world had to, had to shift because I was seeing it in different places and realizing that we're in the same spirit, but I can't say that those people are bad and my people are good just because we do things differently. And so things that sort of had become really important in my life as to how I practice my faith had to shift in order to accommodate a cultureless or a multicultural um, perspective. And so that really sort of changed me. And I mean, I'm still in that journey to an extent, but I've done a lot of work around it because that was probably, I mean, gosh, that was probably 10 years ago now when it started. And then you just start navigating because you realize there are things that we're all certain of and that we all agree a- about, you know, across the world. And then there are a lot of things that are either unclear or can be done a thousand different ways. And all of those things are okay, you know? And so you just sort of learn to live in what I mentioned in my bio, this messy middle where there's like this bit that you hold on to really tight um, because we believe like these are the core things of Christianity, but everything else is sort of like, well, I can see how you get there or I can see how that's faithful for you or I can see how you do that. I'm choosing this way, but I respect that you have a different conviction and it drives a lot of people crazy. It drives me crazy sometimes, you know, like I, I mean, part of, I love certainty and I love, um, you know, clear answers, but I, the more and more I I make my journey, the less, um, the less I think that that's a possibility for for me and for Christians on a lot of different things. And so I think it's just, yeah, so it's been a process and, you know, now in seminary, again, I'm less looking for answers and more looking for better questions to ask so that as I encounter things, I can better filter them through my life and end up as well with something that feels like it uh, transcends my specific cultural moment so that it can reflect. And I think it's okay to be like tied into my specific cultural moment. I think that's necessary for our faith, but if it, you know, keeps me there and pushes everyone else in the world out, then that's sort of a problem. So it's a tricky balance but that's sort of where I am these days. Yeah, that makes, that all makes so much sense. When you said the, 
not everything is so clear. I remember when we, Luke had finished up his grad degree, we had done all this training, we were ready to start to plan to go to Thailand, but we had to do this like pre-field training and read, read several books. And I remember one of the books said there's actually way more gray than there is black and white. And I was just like, what? <laughs> this is blowing my, my framework, my, my worldview, like into smithereens. And I was really uncomfortable with it because I think when you're taught that things are that clear and concrete, when you hear someone say to embrace the nuance or to look at the gray and, you know, there's many ways to do something and it doesn't mean they're wrong just because they're different. I think that feels really unsettling for people. And so they want to get things back into their tidy boxes, right? <laughs> like, let's just put them back to it's either this or it's that, because that's how I know, that's how I can feel safe in the world. That's how I can make sense of it for me. And that's definitely what happened to me. I, I started having those assumptions challenged even before we got to the field. And oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was intense. I love the you're just describing and coming to a realization which i think you were touching on too lauren of what we got to is just that loving people was more important than landing on the same answer to the questions that we were asking and being able to walk with people in relationship with the people more important than being right being right or even totally agreeing with everything but that being able to live in that gray and still love each other and that's not an easy Thing to walk out when you've grown up in a very like said structured rigid theology which we both also grew up in so many of the things you're saying that can so resonate and there's <laughs> want to dig into some of it but like trying to also know that we can't um this is this a conversation me and lauren just have talked so much about yeah i want to pick your brain but we gotta we gotta be structured we gotta be structured <laughs> <laughs> so with your experience, you kind of mentioned it a little bit with your story, but um, with your experience as you've been exploring this world and talking with people in this world of de- disentangling, why do you see people getting to this point of uh, feeling like uh, they want to disentangle? It sort of goes back to these cultural assumptions, right? We've been uh, sort of grown up with a life shaped by Christianity, with a culture in some way shaped by Christianity then with the idea of Christianity shaping culture to a degree that Christianity is powerful. And when that becomes the goal, then we sort of start seeing as though our our mandate to make disciples is lived out by forcing people to live the way that we live. We then start seeing that sort of like a a lot of the means can be justified by the end, right? And I, so I think it's part like just sort of understanding that we live in this, in a cultural space and that inevitably part of what we believe is, is going to be wrapped up in that because that's just how humans work, right? We can't separate ourselves completely objectively from where we occupy in space and time. But on the other end of that, there are things that we can examine because maybe the process through which that we have moved through and tried to sort of like shape society or our culture has led to a lot of hurt of people inside the church, of people outside the church, 
Um, and I think even, you know, the internet, right? Now we can see what people are like all over the world. We can talk to people all over the world. We can talk to people who believe a thousand different things in a day. And we didn't used to have that kind of exposure. And now we understand that on a different level, what living a global faith looks like. And so I think even if people don't have international experience like you and I, we can be confronted with these things. And so I think it's really, in, just like with anything, when you're confronted with new information, you have a decision to make. You can listen and examine and then try to decide what needs to stay and what needs to go in your present life or in that information, or you can sort of have responses. And so I sort of say there are three responses, right? There's the people who double down and they just ignore any new information that might uh, they might disagree with. They're just like, nope, don't need to absorb that, don't care. This is what I believe. There are the people who completely demolish, right? They just are like, well, if this isn't true, then maybe nothing's true and we're just gonna blow it all up and maybe someday we'll rebuild. Or, you know, I've been traumatized or hurt in a certain way. And if this is what it's about, then I can't be a part of it, which I totally get. And then there's sort of like some of us who really love God and love Jesus and still believe in that part, but there, we still know that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be pulled away. And so I think that's where I get sort of disentangling is just starting to understand what parts are my culture and what parts aren't, are, you know, global timeless. And so, but I think it's really just, we're starting to see now the fruit of all of the ways in which the cultural Christianity that we grew up in are, are now showing themselves and all the fruit that we celebrated. And we're like, well, it's because of this, that we'll let them do whatever they want. Well, now we're seeing the fruit of the do whatever they want part. And that's not good. And it, and it actually hurt a lot of people and it hurt us. And it's still hurting us. And so we have to reckon with that. And so we can decide how we deal with it or what, how we choose to move forward, but we can't, it's at a point where we can't really ignore it anymore. And I think a lot of us are just starting to really see that and information spreads so fast now that you just can't reach a corner where you don't see it unless you're really, really trying. So what I'm hearing you say is couple things with disentangling it's the purpose of disentangling is to see where culture has influenced our faith and trying to disentangle what is cultural influence and what is faith and that's kind of where that gray is where the culture has influenced our, our beliefs that's where we can we don't need to hold it so tightly because culture has done thousands and thousands of ways all over the world and for us to think that Christianity is done right because it's American Christianity or it's done right because it's the way I think it's done right. And so let's go hold that over the other people that we're talking to, whether that's other Americans that are from a different part of the country or other people from other parts of the world. And so it's you're saying it's important to, with the newness of media and information of realizing that people do culture and life differently, we have to take that information and allow it to influence the way that we interact with people and the way we share what we believe in and how much we enforce what it looks like. My experience, that's where it gets tricky, is being open to examining. When you talk with people or you see that 
What do you see as the roadblocks to examining? Like um, why would someone why would someone double down or what was the what was the middle one? Double down, demolish or disentangle. Oh, demolish. Okay. So let's first explore like why why do you think uh, maybe people are won't even consider the new information that they're being presented with? I mean, I think it can be any number of things. Everyone has a lot of um, reasons that they do that, but I think sure. partly it is it is either that they don't want to think about the idea that their entire idea of Christianity is built around that. And so if you threaten, and I think this is sort of the problem with black and white, right? Like if you threaten one piece of that puzzle and everything is built around that, the whole thing comes down. So they would end up demolishing, right? If they examine, because they don't have another option. And so if your brain sort of recognizes that, then you're willing to do a lot of cognitive dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> It'll do as much as you want. I think the other thing is, if this version of Christianity puts you at the top, you're obviously not going to look at what's at the bottom, right? Like you're like, well, I'm not going to, and it's sort of what cracks me up about the whole servant leader thing, right? Like Jesus is like, be a servant. And they're like, leader. And I'm like, no, no, just servant. It's not servant leader. It's yeah. a servant. <laughs> and so it's like, we somehow took this like upside down thing and put ourselves back on top. And it's like, no, we're actually supposed to be on the bottom. That's our place. And so it's really funny to me to think about that. But I think that's what it is, is so that's sort of what I see are the main reasons people do that, because there's just, it's too threatening in one way or another. So it just becomes easier to not parse out the details. Would it be too strong to, or would you agree, like, it's kind of fear. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what I experience as I talk to people and even my, my own journey is, is that scary. Like you said, if, if my reality is built on this and I take out something else that's going to make my reality crash or that can be a, the cognitive dissonance that I'm not willing to face. Well, you were saying about how when you do have a framework that's so black and white, if you have to question one part of it, even though it's only 10%, it's like, oh my gosh, this is all going to fall to the ground in, in shambles. Is that the word? Yeah. I, I have or problems. At least, yeah. Or at least you start to realize how big the project will be, right? Mm -hmm. You realize that if you look at this thing, you're going to have to look at all of it. And, you know, sometimes I put off, like I put off things in life all the time because it seems like it's too much. Like if it's too big of a project, list. And I know that as soon as I do one of those things, I'm going to have to finish the whole thing or at least work towards the whole thing. You know, I put it off because that's a lot of work to do. So I don't know that everyone is afraid that their faith will come crashing around them. But I do think some people are afraid that they're going to have to look at things that they don't want to look at. And it's not always conscious. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. For some people it is, but for most people, I don't think it is. I think Absolutely. that's just what their brain is doing and they don't know that it's doing it. It's trying to find, like we talked about a lot about emotional health. We're trying to find safety. Safety is what's familiar. Mm -hmm. Like even our nervous system is wired to pr pursue what is, what is familiar. And it doesn't always filter through like healthy or biblical. It just says <laughs> familiar. If this is right. familiar, then I'm going to pursue this. Change is not safe. 
So I don't want to change. So it's sometimes it's like a physiological response, which is how God created us, which we've talked about can be say a blessing and a curse because <laughs> it gives us op- opportunity to change, but also keeps us sometimes stuck. Yeah. I, I remember someone saying to me several years ago when we started to disentangle, it was even just one issue, if you will. And it was like the lights got turned on in a dark room and we just couldn't unsee it. And when I was talking to this individual, they were saying like, you can't, you can't go there. You can't, you can't believe this way about this. And I, and I remember thinking like hearing it, you know, there's these, these unspoken rules, but then when you hear the rules spoken out loud, like, oh, you're actually not allowed to explore that with, with Jesus the heart of God, what is the heart of God in this issue? And I just remember thinking, like, I was stunned, like, how could this not be allowed? And I real, you know, this is as an adult, this wasn't as a kid. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think too, that's one of the misconceptions, people sort of feel like deconstruction or whatever is new. But I think if we actually look at the Gospels, Jesus was was disentangling the disciples beliefs the whole time because the idea of messiah the idea of the son of god the son of man was this like conquering king warrior and he's like the guy who rides in on a donkey and washes people's feet he's the guy who said like who cares what happens in the temple i'm making a new way like he's he's there saying or all the Pharisees are all mad because he's disobeying Sabbath rules. And he's like, you don't even understand why we made the Sabbath rules, you know? (laughs) And so the whole time he was flipping it upside down and he was disentangling for them what the idea would be. And he's like, actually, I don't conquer through, you know, taking down Rome. I conquered through letting Rome kill me and you won't get it but in a few days you will. And then he res- he's resurrected and everything changes. And so it's funny to me when people like you were saying, or like you aren't allowed to explore that when I think that's exactly what Jesus would have done or would do if we're sitting right here. He mm-hmm. like, that's okay, let's look at it together. Or even when, I mean, the way he's so kind to Thomas, when Thomas is like, I don't know, unless I see it, I don't believe it. And he walks right up to Thomas and he's like, look, touch do it. It's fine. You know, he wasn't mad at him. He didn't scold him for having bad faith. He did, you know, he was kind and he showed him and he's like, okay, cool. Now let's go. And Thomas takes the gospel to India. So it's a big deal. So I think it's really important that we stop thinking about this as a new phenomenon. Cause I think it's actually really old. It's as old as our faith itself. And it's actually sort of what jumpstarted our faith to begin with. And to not allow spaces for questioning is really doing ourselves a disservice in the long run. So that kind of answers our question about like, why the people that object to deconstruction is kind of an inflammatory word for people. And I wish that it wasn't because it's just a, it's just a word that people are using to help describe their experience. Uh, It doesn't need to be inflammatory. But would you say that's one of the big reasons and maybe any others that you can can add in of why, how we would respond to someone who thinks it's very anti-God and very like, oh, you're walking away from your faith. 
Well, I mean, to be fair, right, I think a lot of the biggest voices in deconstruction did walk away from the faith, right? And in some way or another, now, some of them might say that they're sort of still part of it, but they're very unorthodox, which gives people very uncomfortable vibes around deconstruction, which I understand. Like, I'm like, okay, I mean, that's your decision and you can do that. I who am I to say who's in and who's out? But if we're looking at the historic traditional tenets of the faith, that's outside of bounds for me, which is why I'm like, there are ba- to me, there are some boundaries, but I would, I would be happy, happy to be wrong about that <laughs> in the end. But I think, so I think that's part of it I, is that there are so many people who have deconverted and deconverted loudly that it really sort of makes people think that that is like the goal of deconstruction. And the goal mm-hmm. of deconstruction is to get down to the foundation so that, you know, you can decide at that point, it, A, is your foundation even good? And B, what are you going to rebuild? And for some people, they'll rebuild something completely different. And for some people, they're going to be rebuilding back into Christianity, but in a way that it's built in the right place. And I think too, people are like, I mean, even, even my pastor one day from from the pulpit was like, we don't have to deconstruct because our foundation was on Jesus. And I was like, I'm so happy that that is that you grew in a faith that didn't have you question any of those things. I deconstructed to make sure that my foundation was Jesus, right? And then I was able to rebuild a faith that did look like Jesus for sure, or it, from what I can tell to the best of my you know, limited sinful human ability. But if we start talking about it as this great enemy, instead of this great tool, Mm. we're gonna, we're gonna really not just hurt ourselves because then we're not having any sort of critical thinkers that can adapt to whatever situations may arise in the future. I mean, if you think about the change of technology in our lifetimes alone and how we've had to grow and adapt and deal with all of that, I mean, even think what 20, 30, 50 years from now is going to look like. People aren't going to be able to deal with those, like with the new things because they don't have the filters to. But it's, yeah, it's not an enemy thing. So I think that's part of it is everyone sort of thinks that like, we didn't build our faith by itself. That's sort of a problem too, right? Like, I didn't just decide to follow Jesus. I learned about Jesus from people and people taught me about Jesus and they taught me the Bible and they taught me how to read the Bible. And then when I look around in my adulthood and see what's happened to some of those people, of course, I'm going to question what my faith was because though my foundation is Jesus, they helped me put up the walls, right? And so mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that my walls are still going to stand if a hurricane comes. That's that's a fair thing to want when you're in hurricane territory. So I think it's, so I think that's part of it. And I think even it's funny to me too, because a lot of those people, you know, champion the Reformation as this great thing. But to me, that's another deconstruction, <laughs> like example. Yes. And so I think, when we limit it to this, I think their definition is a little too narrow of what deconstruction is. And to a point, I think that's fair because they're the ones who are getting all the big media attention and and the big play, right? In the zeitgeist. But there are a lot of people in everyone's pews every Sunday asking questions and going home and watching the news and, or reading articles about, you know, these champions of the faith that have fallen or reading articles about their neighbor who goes to church every Sunday, who shows up someplace else and does something horrible, right? 
I mean, I'm in Texas. A lot, a lot of Christians around me showed up at an insurrection on Janu- in January. So, so it does make you, a- you have to start asking questions. And if you're not asking questions, it's from that place of fear one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so I think we would rather have people asking questions and examining that than to either have them double down, right? Or to leave completely. I'd rather have this space where it is safe to ask questions, where we can be like Jesus and walk with them through that um, and, and be a part of that process. Because I actually think that's how we build a healthy faith and resilient disciples of integrity who can live their faith as much as they can learn and articulate it. And I think that is that's sort of the dissonance that we need to start correcting. But we can't do that if we talk about doubt or questions as this enemy when they're actually how all of us sort of grow up into faith. It's just that we're doing them in a different way or at a different time in our lives than than is acceptable maybe. But I think that's how we become mature human beings. So why wouldn't it be how we become mature disciples too? No. Oh, so wonderfully said. Yes, chock full of goodness. Yeah. Sorry, got a little yeah. ranty. I'm sorry. No, it's, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good, Kate. And I think like you touched on another aspect that you talked about earlier about that, the cultural influence. You mentioned that we are taught, discipled, learn from people within our culture who are also other people who are don't always get things right. Every book yeah. we read, every VBS we attend, every song we sing, is all the written. translations that we read, like there's all people involved in all of these things. Exactly. And we think, and we say that people are fallible and are broken and, but somehow we get the message that no one makes mistakes around theology. If it's a theology that I agree with, then it must be a perfect theology. Right. But if it's not something I agree with, then of course it's wrong. They're human. <laughs> And it's like, (laughs) but I just love that freedom you give of like, we're not saying that everything's wrong. We're just opening up a door and a conversation of what do I keep and what do I throw away? What is good and what is bad? And I think we are invited in that, like Jesus invites us there. The Bible invites us there. Christianity invites that conversation. Um, You have a great example, like you were talking about Jesus, like he disentangled the culture from Judaism and what became Christianity because it had to be disentangled. I don't know if that's exactly correct. But, yeah. But I we knew, get what you're yeah. saying. And he definitely yeah. did and it I, day to day. Yeah. And I think if, if church isn't the safe place to do that, then no wonder people are leaving, you exactly. know, right. Like that is the place where it should be safe to ask questions. But if it's only safe for people who want to be right or who are right, according to your definition, like, yeah, then you're not, you're not actually making disciples. You're indoctrinating people. And that's a very different, that's a very very different, very different. I think that's where a part of our cerebral cognitive emphasis on in the West I think that's one of the downfalls. Obviously, there's so many positives, but it's one of the downfalls. Like, look at look at scripture, look at the Psalms, Job, Lamentations, like being in agony with doubt and confusion and questions and just like the angst of the human soul, crying out to God to like make sense of 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 your experience or of of suffering or whatever. There's so much of space for that in the Bible. And yet in the West, it's like, well, 
you have a question, I better have an answer for you to set it all straight and to make you not leave the faith. And just that, I feel like that's very Western of us to always want to have the answer. And it doesn't leave that space for people who are doubting. And you're exactly right. If the church, Jesus followers cannot be that for each other, then where, I don't even know what to say. It's just so tragic if that's the case. But they're asking questions. And if they can't ask those in the church, then of course they're going to ask the questions outside the church. And they're going to get answers that you don't like, you know, that the church doesn't like probably. And then they become outsiders in a whole different way. And so Mm -hmm. it sort of becomes a cycle that feeds on itself. It's really, it's not good. No, it's sad. Jesus tells us if we don't love people, then we're just a songing gong. Love your neighbor as yourself. Above all else, love. Like so much is focused not on wisdom, not on knowledge, not on acts, but on love and creating that safe space to be curious, like Jesus did with Thomas, like Jesus did with Peter, like Jesus did with uh, the woman at the well, Mary, so many people, he gave that space of not being okay, because he loved perfectly. My disentangling has just brought me back to Jesus and love. I think that's a foundation, like for me, that's a foundation that's a lot stronger than it was the other one, (laughs) where the, the walls are a lot stronger, because it wasn't on theology or knowledge or actions, but understanding God's heart. And I think that's where we miss God's heart is not being able to ask questions. Something that I think has been so helpful for me to understand, I grew up in a high authority culture, church and family wise. So it was like, you do it because you feel forced to do it. And I realized how that was translated into my faith as well. So it was like the concept of choice was irrelevant. And I feel like it's been so neat to see God's heart in the last several months of just showing me like, Lauren, don't you see the choice I give people? I, the creator of the universe, maybe the multiverse, like I have given human beings choice to follow me or not. And there's so much freedom in knowing if God does that, like, I don't have to convince or persuade or manipulate or all the things that we can tend to do when we feel like it's it's like a survival mentality it's like a well if you're not with us you're against us so we got to keep you with us it's really it doesn't create good fruit when we don't recognize people have complete free will to choose to walk with Jesus or not to and of course i would i want them to i want them to have that that full abundant life but when you release yourself from having to control the outcome of someone's faith, there is so much freedom to love just like Jesus would love them and to just truly be the hands and feet of Jesus in their life as they decide their choice. Because Kate only gets to decide Kate, Lauren only gets to decide Lauren's faith and Luke Luke's. And there, I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's super simplistic, but for me, it's been like, revolutionary like oh my gosh I'm not in charge I don't have to figure this out for people that's so wonderful and it's funny because we talk about you know like you know we do work but the Holy Spirit actually does it but I don't think we always believe that right (laughs) yes if I'm not doing it who's gonna do it and I think you're right I think we just we just show up and I mean I saw this thread on Twitter one day and it was talking about it's talking about evangelicalism in the UK, but it felt very applicable. 
and it got to a part about evangelism and how, you know, like what they found over time was that the best evangelism was what evangelicals called, you know, relational evangelism. And he's like, but that's just what normal people call making friends. Yes, I was like, that's just it. You know, there are people, we're friends with lots of people who aren't believers and we, we're not going to make them believers by knocking them over the head with the gospel. They need to know that we care about them. And when they're ready, they ask us questions. They ask us questions all the time. We talk, we end up with all sorts of Jesus-y conversations that we never saw coming just because we are with people. We hang out with them. We are actually part of their lives and their circles. And while I would love for them to believe in Jesus, because I, I do believe that he is the way, um, I, you know, I can't force that and I shouldn't try. And if that ruins my relationship with those people, then it probably also ruins part of their idea of Jesus. And yeah. I, that's a bigger risk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want that on my conscience, <laughs> but to even think that, yeah, that I am solely responsible for anyone's decision when it comes to God is Ooh. way more um, than I certainly want to take on. And I don't think that we're asked to, I think we just mm-hmm. show up and we do the the next right thing in every situation mm-hmm. that we're in. And that's all yes. we do. Like you said, like we believe God's a big God and then we take control over the reins when we think it's important. But if God's as big as we think he is, then can't he work in people's hearts and guide and direct? And I think that's where also fear comes in is what if I'm responsible for them not believing? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where we take that reign and take that ownership and take roles that aren't ours. And if we don't disentangle, then we don't even realize that we're doing that, which is a, it's heavy. Yeah, it is. So Kate, in wrapping up, um, this has been amazing. I love to hear your thoughts on this. So I, I have one last question. The people that have maybe started this process or are considering starting this process, just realizing maybe there are some things in my faith that I ascribe to that really aren't aligned with the heart of Jesus, but they're afraid. They just feel like very hesitant. Like what, what will it be connected to? What relationships may I lose? What is the sacrifice going to be? I just don't know if I can do it. What kind of encouragement would you give to people in that position? Yeah. I mean, I would just say, I think it kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about before. One, what you're doing is not new and it's not bad, right? We have countless examples throughout history of people, faithful, wonderful people, um, back to Jesus himself doing this in the lives of others or themselves. And so I think it's really important that we, you know, don't set it up as this antagonistic thing. And then I think the second thing is, you know, maybe find a couple of people, maybe they're not disentangling, but maybe they're safe people to talk to, right? To ask questions. And it, it may be a challenge to find some of those people. You can sort of like throw up some little flags or whatever (laughs) that help you. But I think that that helps a lot to just have a couple of people, even if they're like, I mean, there's people on the internet all over the place, right? You can build relationships. You can find people who are doing some of this work and asking a lot of these questions themselves. And then, I mean, I think the thing is, when people ask me like, where do you start? Right. I always just say like, go to the gospels, look at Jesus for yourself, start there. That alone will do so much for understanding, you know, what, 
what our faith has sort of like become and what maybe it could be or who Jesus is. And I think when you do that, you find that there's so much like, yes, he gets frustrated with people, you know, and yes, he gets angry, but he's also incredibly kind. He gives us a whole way of life that is so different from how we experience it a lot of times. And he cares for people that we don't always notice or care for. And so I think it's important to see who Jesus is and, and then start and then understanding that, you know, even in this space, he's with you and he cares for you and he's not scared of it. And so I think if God's not scared of it, I mean, even if we go back, right, you were talking about Job, Job throws a lot of questions at God, you know, Moses throws a lot of questions at God. People have been questioning God since God's been calling people. And so if you just go back or yeah, the Psalms, how many times is David angry or, you know, distraught or upset? I think once you realize that God isn't scared of this process, you realize that you don't have to be either. You will, you will lose some people. You will. And I, I, I sincerely hope that's not the case for you, but it's hard not to. <laughs> once you realize certain things are really wrapped up in, in faith and some people aren't willing to let that go, I think we can still be in some relationship with them, but you'll lose some of that depth, which is hard. But when you realize that God isn't scared of your questions, you find that there's a lot more freedom than you thought. And I, I would sort of, I would go there, like read the Old Testament, like just read it. And you'll also realize that, yeah, people have been doing this since time began. So it's safe for you to do it too. What a great invitation. Yeah. There's so much freedom there. Knowing God's not afraid means we don't have to be afraid too. Yeah. It's, it's so simple, but it's really life-giving. And complicated and hard and wrapped up in the culture. And, yeah, and so it's, it's a great invitation though. I just really enjoyed this conversation, just mm-hmm. hearing your perspective, hearing your, your expertise and advice and story and um, just really appreciate your time. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for yeah, coming on. and for just, having me. This was fun. Good. We enjoyed it too and look forward to. Uh, I think it's a great tool um, and some information for, for people and listeners out there. Yeah. So we'll end this uh, episode and just remember that your story matters and we'll catch you back next time. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, Please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.